Welcome to Popcorn Takes, a pop culture podcast featuring movies, media, books, etc. I'm Marsha. And I'm Mike. And today we are talking about The Iron Claw 2023. Yep, The Iron Claw is kind of a quasi-biographical sports wrestling drama. And it is stars Zac Efron, Jeremy Allen Wright, Harris Dickinson. I'm going to... What's Maura Tierney? Yeah. Uh, Holt. McCallally and Lily James, directed by Sean Durkin. That feels like you didn't cover all the brothers: Zac Efron, Jeremy Allen White, and that's only three. Harris Dickinson. Yeah, that's only three of the Holt, brothers: McCallally, McCallally, McCallany, and Lily James. Okay, all right. Um, it's an A twenty four film. Do you want to give a brief, non spoilery synopsis? Uh, it follows the life of the Von Eckhart wrestling family. So if you know the story, there's had um, very infamous, I guess, in the wrestling community, uh, supposed curses on the family, I suppose. And they were they were very influential in the 1980s in wrestling, as before wrestling kind of all became the WWE. And this tracks their life. Uh, what do you give it popcorn rating? I am going to give this a three and a half popcorn simply because I like the wrestling. I bump it up a little bit. I felt like it was trying to tell a story that wasn't really there. Mm. And I, I think like if I think there may have been some better ways to do it. Maybe from a different, I, like I almost, I almost feel like it could have been more of a, of a maybe even doing it from Carrie's point of view might have been the other brother might have been more interesting. So, because hmm. it's sort of presented from Kevin's view. Yes. So anyway, yeah, I give it a three and a half. I I found it slow at times, and I mean, it was okay. If you like wrestling, it's probably worth a watch. Okay. I gave it a four, even though I don't know any of the wrestling history. I think actually not knowing the wrestling history makes it better. Maybe. And that may be, because you didn't have any idea who they were. Nope. And I had a great uncle that would haul us around to go watch NWA wrestling mm -hmm. in the mid-80s. <laughs> so... We were, we were, we had different influences, I suppose, because we were little kids and yeah, they would haul us up and we would drive all around to watch wrestling. He loved wrestling. So. Gotcha. Wow. Um, my history with uh, wrestling is that I watched it some in the late 2000s when I was um, in high school or fresh out of high school. And that was the extent of what I watched. I watched in the era of um, Triple H and the divas now the divas was frustrating because i liked seeing that girls were out there wrestling but the divas weren't doing a ton of wrestling it was mostly bikini yeah. show <laughs> and then you had a, a respite until you had children of your own who love wrestling yes and then <laughs> yes and then that was the first time i actually went to a wrestling <laughs> match was you got when, to go to watch wrestling when i had children of my own 
Um, but at least the women wrestlers are a lot better now than they were back then. They yes. actually have their own storylines. They wear more clothing. They all kinds of different body shapes are out there. And I like to actually see the skill of some of the wrestlers. Gotcha. I think the gymnastics involved with it is always fun to watch. Gotcha. So, all right. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the spoilers. Uh we open the movie on a wrestling match, and it's an older guy, and he shows everybody the claw, which is, you know, his hand. Uh -huh. um, actually, I just put two and two together. Jim Carrey's Liar Liar, when he does the claw, is he doing the wrestling the claw? It's quite possible. I don't know that. He never calls it the Iron Claw. He just calls it the right. Claw. And he does the same, like, hand thing, though. Yeah, I don't know if that was influenced by, by, uh, by the Andrew, Iron Claw sorry. or not. Sorry, sorry. It's possible. Early detour. <laughs> All right. Uh, the audience goes crazy for it. The older guy wins. And then uh, after the match, uh, he walks outside to his pregnant wife and two children. Two boys. They're waiting for him. Um, apparently he had the car switched out during the match. His wife, Dottie, uh, is upset because he blew all the money on a fancy new car that they don't need. It's a Cadillac. And, um, he says that he's going to win the heavyweight champion and nothing bad will ever touch them again. Uh -huh. And then we see Zach Ron, Zach, Zach Ron, <laughs> Zach Efron waking up. Um, he goes to wake up his brother and says, Hey, let's go for a run. Uh, the brother does not want to go for a run, so Zac Efron is out there running by himself. There's a bunch of religious symbols around the house. There's guns in the house. There's trophies in the house. Um, and in this opening scene where he's running, he talks about the family curse. Um, about how his he's always been told that his family had a curse. His mom tried to protect them with God, and his dad tried to protect them with wrestling. And then we see it's 1979. Uh, Dallas, Texas, and Zach Efron um, is playing Kevin Von Erich, and he wins his match. Um, and so the next morning at breakfast, uh, it's uh, they, his mom and his dad are kind of getting on the youngest, Michael, about how he needs to put on weight, and he also needs to work out, and he needs to put on some muscle, and... Um, and then the dad tells the boys which kids are his favorite, and he ranks them in order. <laughs> and then he says, but the rankings can always change. change, change yep. So um, Kevin goes to his mom later um, and says that he needs to talk to their dad about being too tough on Michael. And she's kind of, she's really hands off. She's like, y'all work that out between yourselves. And then they go to church. Um, and we find out... Uh, Carrie is not in this opening scene, but we find out that Carrie is apparently training to be an Olympian and the disc, discus, discus, and the other brothers are floating down the river together. You can tell that there's a strong family bond between them. Yep. Kevin is filming a spot for a, an upcoming match and he keeps messing up. So we see early on that Kevin while he's a great wrestler, he's not great with the showmanship side of wrestling that you kind of have to have. The smack talk, the, the the airs that they put on, the 
the acting basically that goes into it. Mm-hmm. And um, David come. David is one of his brothers. He comes in. He laughs. He messes up uh, Kevin's concentration. And then we hear uh, "Don't Fear the Reaper" playing while people are lining up for their wrestling match. Um, there was other songs that played earlier than this. This, but this is the first one. Uh, this is the only song that I wrote down. <laughs> But I recognize many of the songs. Um, they're it's very much seventies and eighties music, rock, southern rock. And I, and I think that's a kind of a subtle nod to the fact that their wrestling promotion that the Von Erichs kind of founded was the first one to use walkout music. So they sort of embraced the television and the right. So we the dad ha- has formed the wrestling group that they wrestle with right now the um i have it written down later but let's go ahead and talk about it the, the wccw yeah the world class championship wrestling uh-huh. very popular in texas and the midwest right so um i guess the backstory here is and they kind of dance around it without explicitly laying it out the backstory here is that um the dad never got the heavyweight championship that he felt that he deserved. And so he started his own wrestling company, uh, production, whatever. And so they are up against the NWA, which is considered the, the big dog at the time. Um, so David is in this match with Kevin. It's a tag team match and it's David's debut. Uh-huh. Um, they do the iron claw. They win the match. And then there's girls lined up outside for autographs. There is a girl particularly waiting to meet Kevin. Her name is Pam. And Pam is coming on heavy onto Mm -hmm. Kevin. And Kevin has no idea what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) And so she finally asks him out. And um, and he's... He's just kind of, are you asking me out? And she's like, well, geez, make me feel bad about it. And so he's not picking up what she was putting down. So he finally, he's like, yes, yes. I'd love to go get a drink with you. And so, um, we see, uh, oh, we see later the dad is talking with the other, I guess it's the promoter or, uh, whoever else helps him run the, the wrestling company. Yeah. But the match went perfectly. It's the highest ratings they've ever seen. And ESPN has called to offer a spot to them mm-hmm. um and so they are you know putting together what they want to do for this spot and um kevin and pam are on their date and pam tells kevin that uh well kevin waxes poetic about his family and pam says i want to be a vet i want to have kids and i want to have my own practice and i want to be married to a man who doesn't have a problem with that yeah um so in the early or late 70s early 80s this is uh in the, in the south in texas this is probably pretty pretty revolutionary <laughs> he probably has never met anybody like pam before um but he's he says he's down for it and um and then she says you have you know oldest brother syndrome always wanting to take care of your brothers and he goes well actually i'm not the oldest my oldest brother jack died when i was five uh jack jr yeah and um starts telling her about the curse yep and so Pam goes over there and gives him a hug. And um, 
and she tells him oh apparently um he tells her about the curse but that their dad changed their last name to von eric it was his grandmother's last name and that's apparently where the curse comes from um but pam says she doesn't believe in curses she says people make their own luck they kiss and that's that kevin gets home and his dad tells him that he has a fight set up for the world heavyweight champion um, against Harley Race. And uh, dad puts it on Kevin to win the championship, the heavyweight championship for the family. So we see ESPN has come in. It's, he's set up to, to fight against Harley Race. And then um, the crowd is definitely on Kevin's side. So Harley is a heel and Kevin is the good guy in the fight. But Harley gets him outside of the ring and then does a suplex on him on the concrete. And Kevin is actually hurt. Yeah. And he's having a hard time making it back into the ring. It's clear that it's set up for him to win, but he's having difficulty selling it because he's actually hurt. Yeah. Um. Kevin wins the match, but only because Harley is disqualified. So, um, they, I guess they got to have a rematch or whatever. So dad comes into the ring and says that, um, oh, sorry. No, David comes into the ring at some point in time. And, uh, when, when Harley's in there, uh, not when Harley's, how do I explain this? Harley is um, pushing the ref away and doing illegal things. And so David actually comes into the ring during that time period. And then the ref calls it for Kevin. So mm -hmm. David is in the ring with him. Kevin is supposed to speak, but um, he's having a hard time. Like I said, he's actually very hurt. And also we've already established that Kevin is not the best at the smack talk and showmanship. But David's really good at it. So David takes the mic. David tells him, you know, you can't treat my brother that way. This is our family and, and goes on and right. does all the good smack talk. So um, when they're back in the locker room afterwards, his dad has no sympathy for the fact that he got suplexed on concrete and that, you know, he's actually hurt. Um, yeah. And this is where we see... I mean, we've already seen dad with the ranking of his own children, um, but now dad with the not even being concerned with the fact that his son was actually hurt during the match. It is all about getting the family the belt. Any means possible. Yeah. Um, so, and he also kind of goes off about the vendetta of the NWA against him. He's basically saying, oh, they're going to, they're gonna screw us over. They're not gonna. They're not gonna set up the the rematch. He's just he's going off. And then Kevin, once he leaves, uh, once the dad leaves, Kevin um, is upset with David for talking in the ring. And David kind of just acquiesces to Kevin. Yeah. But. And and part of that, you know, again, this is where the film sort of takes some of the license. So. The right Jack von Eric or Fritz von Eric, as he was known, was a world champion. Yeah. So he he had, he so the movie's kind of it it's sort of a shadow of what their story actually is. Mm -hmm. It's not like like they were actually very successful 
like so it's sort of this push to because the movie is almost like the dad trying to really push them and live vicariously through his children through his children yeah. but the truth of the matter is he was a world famous he was pro he's probably more famous than his children are mm -hmm. as far as being a, a wrestler and you know his promotion was wildly successful they worked with the nwa if anything they weren't dumped on by the nwa they weren't you know, as you read, they weren't very helpful. To the, the NWA wanted them to do more. They couldn't get them in line to do more. Yeah. So, anyway. So, um, we find out that um, the USA has refused to play in the Olympics because um, the Olympics are going to be in Moscow. That's right. The 1980 boycott of the Summer Olympic Games. So, now that Carrie who was training to be an Olympian is no longer going to have an Olympic games to go to the next Olympic games would be 1984. Um, Carrie has, Carrie goes home. Mm -hmm. And the first thing he says to his dad is he's sorry. Um, so again, if that's not a telltale sign of the, at least the story they're trying to paint here. Yeah. Um, yeah. because, it's not like Carrie had any control over whether or not the U.S. played in the Olympics or not to be able to sit there and say sorry, you know. Um, and also, it's his career that got, you know, his hopes got dashed. Um, anyway, so the brothers start playing football. Pam comes to dinner with the family. Um, we find out that dad was classically trained on the clarinet. Um, and he gave that up to play football. Because he thought that sports was the more lucrative uh, yeah. career path. And he was a really good track and field athlete also. So he was a discus thrower also. Gotcha. The dad was. And they're all they're all very big people. They are Like in the movie, large. they're played by smaller yeah, actors. actors. Well, that's and they don't really many, show there's not like, Zac Efron large. is ripped. Yeah. But in real life. These people are very large people. Yeah, but that's because I think most actors are smaller. So I, I, I was listening to the podcast with the Chris Jericho that had Kevin Von Eric going. Apparently, the dad was a 15-pound baby. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. Which is bananas. <laughs> Apparently, he set a record in Texas when he was born. <laughs> so that is insane. As a woman who had a 9-pound, 5-ounce baby, I cannot imagine having a 15-pound baby. <laughs> I feel bad for the mom. Anyway, on, on <laughs> and apparently the... they said after that he was an only child. <laughs> it's like no wonder. Yeah. So uh, yeah, they were very. Uh, and uh, Kevin uh, also played football, so he was a football. Yeah, player. he was. Yeah, a, I saw he that. was a really good football player in college too. So they were. I mean, these are they, they're super athletic family. Yeah. So um, Pam comes to dinner. We find out about that. Um, we also find out that Michael has a gig um, with his little rock group. Uh, on a college campus and the mom says no and the dad backs her up and because the, the brothers are like well we'll take them you know and she's like no i said no you're only 17 yeah. no yeah and um and so uh they end up sneaking so the out, whole anyways. Crew sneaks out. <laughs> yeah. and then um kevin is supposed to um well you know that they sneak out the brother plays his gig they talk about how good he is at music and and all that and then um, then they go back home. Kevin is supposed to get the rematch against Harley Race, and then Dad comes in to tell Carrie that he should do wrestling since he can't go to the Olympics. And so Carrie agrees. And again, kind of a, a misnomer 
historic. So the movie kind of twists around yeah. what actually happens in the family because that Carrie had already been wrestling for his dad since the seventies. Yeah. So they they all they kind of I and mean, really in essence they sort of it's sort of the family business for them. They kind of grew up. Yeah. Just in and around and wrestling. I mean, it was it you know again it's almost like going to work for your parents. It, you know, it's this is the family business. Yeah. So um, the brothers become an act. It's um, Kevin, David, and Carrie. And there's a montage of them training. There's a mo- the, tra- the montage includes training, matches, parties, and promos. There's also drug use in there between illicit drugs and steroids and all that. Yeah, and, and I, think, I, I think the movie was really nice. Yes. I mean, the movie kind of glosses this over, you know. I have it so It really many glosses over, I think, what the actual drug use, both steroid and recreationally, yeah. probably was by these people. Right. It, it made me have so many questions because in the movie, they, do, they simultaneously make Kevin look like the straight edge, but also sometimes have scenes with him involving drugs, too. He just doesn't partake as much as his brother's. I'm not really, it's very confusing because yeah. they don't actually go over any of it. Yeah. They just kind of. Yeah, they kind of, go again, they, they, they just show us. They, they sort of paint this all shucks and family with this mean dad pushing them. And the truth is they were probably more like rock stars in Texas and around that time. And, and overseas in Japan, they were wildly famous. Yeah. And so they really partied and lived more. Uh, uh, that lifestyle than I think what the movie right, which is really crazy. We'll get to it later. Um, but they don't paint Ric Flair in the same light. They paint Ric Flair as the party boy, which he was. But they were all yeah. But that's what I'm saying. They're all in that it's, same. It's sorta. like they're trying to juxtapose them, and I think that they were more alike than they were juxtaposed. Yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. Um, so the movie is. I get with the storytelling where it had to go, but the movie kind of only shows. And, and and I really think a more accurate movie would have been a little more interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think of, I, I don't know if you ever watched the wrestler with Mickey Rourke and Marissa Tomei. I have not. But it's, it's, a, it's about an old kind of over the hill wrestler. I think it's a little better almost depiction of kind of more how they operate. Than... So what I'm get, gathering is that the Oscars really love wrestling movies. <laughs> Well, I mean, the rest, gosh, that movie's probably what. Yeah, but I mean, it it seems like any wrestling movie that comes out. Oh, is this an Oscar movie? Yes. Oh, I had no idea. Yes. Okay. Uh, Okay, so. All right. I forget what category the the, the Iron Claw is nominated in, but it is nominated for an Oscar. Okay. Um, Okay, so where are we at? Oh, so we open with a little screen title that says 1983. The... Is it the Fabulous Freebirds? The Fabulous Freebirds. Six men, tag team championship title. And and they were, the Von Erickson Freebirds were sort of nemesis in the ring. Yeah. So you find out when you listen to Chris Jericho's podcast that they were actually friends. <laughs> but it was just like they're like how. The, the story. All, yeah. this, all this stuff is scripted. So right. by the promoters and the different people. So they write out all these storylines. You know, if, if I've, and I apologize if I'm spoiling it for anybody out there. But wrestling <laughs> is not very, while very athletic is very scripted. Well, there's a whole scene where it, Kevin and Pam have that conversation where he's like, yeah, it's scripted, but also, like, it gets scripted based on how the crowd it likes you, how you actually perform in the ring. It Like, it's not just 
this person wins and that person loses. It's yeah. it's more than that. Yeah, it's um, like a TV show. Yeah, and they're but they're getting live feedback. Exactly, and so that sort of dictates how they want to go and what makes it interesting. Exactly. Um, and so, uh, so it's the fabulous Freebirds versus the Von Erics um, for a tag team championship, and the Von Erics win. Yep. And then um, the dad comes into the ring and calls out the NWA uh, after they win the match, and so the promoter's like, "Whoa, calling out the NWA by name!" Because he calls out the owner of the NWA. I, yeah. I did not write down that guy's name, but and he's he so he's got beef with the NWA. Um, and he says that David Von Erich is the next heavyweight, uh, the world heavyweight champion. And then next will be Kevin and then Carrie and then Michael. Um, this is news to Kevin because Kevin thinks that he's going to be the one to fight the next heavyweight, uh, world heavyweight championship title. So he's kind of in shock by this, but he's David kind of is like, man, he probably said the wrong name. And they go back to the locker room. And then in the locker room, they are injecting steroids. Um, and then the dad comes in and tells them that David will, in fact, wrestle against Ric Flair. He's going to be wrestling in six territories in the U.S. and then in Japan. Um, and he tells Kevin and Carrie that, they, um, that they've made D David better. That, like, you guys have really helped make David better. And... Um, so Carrie gives David a hug and Kevin's kind of shook by the whole thing. But we see Kevin and Pam get married. And then we see David at the reception throwing up blood in the bathroom at the wedding. Um, Kevin says he needs to go to the doctor. He says it's just a bug he picked up on the road because he's already worse to assume that this is a fast forward. They've He's already been in the six territories wrestling Ric Flair. Yeah. Um, and, uh, they have a little heart to heart about David jumping him, um, in line for the championship. And Kevin tells David that Pam is pregnant. Yep. Shotgun wedding. So we, the next scene we open up on, Kevin finds out that David has died in his hotel room in Japan. He had a ruptured intestine and the dad comes and tells them no sunglasses or tears at the funeral. And they, they really, so, and he really did die of ventritis in Japan. Yeah. So. Um, Kevin reads a postcard that David had sent him when he was in Japan before he died. And yep. it's, it's sad. Um, so we, after the funeral, the, they're all sitting around and, and his dad wants um, Kevin or Carrie to step up into David's spot against Ric Flair. So no time to mourn. Just get back in the ring and get me that championship belt. And he ends up flipping a coin because both boys say that they're going to do it. And um, he flips a coin to decide and it's Carrie. Carrie goes um, to fight Ric Flair. He wins the match. And then um, he is, he's had, he's still so high off of the win and he's had some beers and he tells Kevin that he cannot come down. So he's going to go for a ride. Um, and then he ends up getting in an accident and losing his foot in the accident, the motorcycle yeah. accident. Now that did happen, but it's not the timeline that the movie makes it out to be. Right. So, um, we're just going to continue on with the movie 
And maybe we'll talk about the differences in the timelines later. Um, Kevin's baby is born. And um, it's a boy. And he makes sure that the baby does not have the Von Erich last name. Uh, Michael is now training for wrestling. Uh, and he goes into his first match. And then he injures himself in the first match. And they do surgery. And during surgery, Michael gets a fever of 107 degrees that puts him in a coma. So Kevin is depressed because he's lost David. He carries lost his foot. And now he feels responsible because he was the one helping to train Michael. He feels responsible that Michael is in a coma. Um, Mike gets out of the coma, but he's got brain damage. Um, again, this storyline does actually happen to, did actually happen to Michael. However, the timeline is way off. It wasn't his first wrestling match. And he did wrestle even after this match. In the movie, he doesn't. In the yeah. movie, he's so brain damaged that he's barely functioning. Yeah. So. Um, and, and I think that's probably a good point to bring up also. There's actually another brother that the movie just leaves out. Correct. And they sort of combine that brother and into the Mike character. It's almost like the two brothers right, so looked at as one. Apparently, Chris was the youngest brother. And Chris um, was actually much smaller than everybody else. But he also had a bunch of health issues. And because he had asthma and had to take specific medicine for his asthma, that medicine made his bones um, more susceptible to breaking. Right. So... Uh, and he did have the, I think he was the one with this shoulder surgery. Yeah. So anyway, so on with the movie though, we will, it, it'll get, conf yeah, it'll get, get too confusing going back and forth. All right. So, um, Kevin is still wrestling, but he's like, he's not the same. You can tell that he is, he's kind of withdrawn. He's kind of depressed. He's not in the right headspace to be out there considering everything his family is going through. Carrie gets a prosthetic and he tries to run, but he can't. Um, and then he wants to prat he wants to uh, he wants to train with Kevin. Uh, but he's, you know, he's in pain. Yeah. Michael cannot play the guitar anymore. And so he ends up swallowing a bunch of painkillers. Um, and he writes a note and then walks off into the woods. Yeah. Um, when it's time for Michael's funeral, Dottie says that she can't put on the funeral dress. Um, she says she, she needs another dress, but it's more just, it's really just the breakdown of a mother having to bury her third child. Yeah. Um, so Kevin is, is really certain to weigh on Kevin. Kevin doesn't want to go home. And he doesn't want to hold his son because he doesn't want his son to catch the curse. Right. And um, so he goes and he's training alone and he's sleeping at the gym. Or they call it the sportsatorium. Yeah, the sportsatorium. Um, so, you know, his dad owns the place. He sleeps there up in the office. Um, uh, and I don't think anybody knows he's sleeping there in the office. He's doing it kind of in secret. Yeah. Um, Kevin is billed to fight Ric Flair in 1986. 
And uh, during the match, Kevin kind of flips out. He does the Iron Claw, but he continues to do it even when he's supposed to be stopping, even when Ric Flair taps out, even when you know he gets to the ropes and he's supposed to let go. He, he's pushing the ref off of him and he's just continuing. Yeah. Now, in real life, I don't see how the Iron Claw, where it's just a, 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 a hand on your forehead, I don't see how that would actually... I guess if you dug your fingernails in, you could probably cut somebody. And that's the only thing that I could guess because Ric Flair does have blood coming off of his head and he does and 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 Kevin does have blood on his hand so yeah. we are to assume I guess that's what happened but like yeah I, I mean most of the, I mean they used to keep razors and things like that in their hands also so that they could do cuts and yeah stuff in the ring to make them because like a head cut's not dangerous per se yeah it's superficial but it bleeds a lot so yeah Especially if you're just doing it with a little they box like the, cutter. Yeah, wrestlers love that look. The, yeah. Get a little nick. And... Yeah. So, um, so uh, Kevin gets disqualified during the match. And then Ric Flair comes back after the, um, after the match and tells him he was crazy, man. And he's like, I'll fight you again any yeah, day. Yeah, he liked that. He's into it. He's, yeah. he's into the showmanship, the, yeah. the craziness. And he's um and he's like let's go party and uh and Kevin's like no I'm I'm good yeah and um and and Ric Flair just opens up a beer right there he's just like guzzling a beer he's just which is kind of how it was for wrestling back yes, in the day yes I would, imagine I mean, that's would... exactly how it would be I mean I I imagine some of that still goes on to this day I mean yeah. it's a beer you know what I mean and it's after a match and they've kind of been out there you know throwing their bodies around it's that's not as surprising to me. Um, so, uh, and even on the Chris Jericho podcast, he kind of talks about how it, when he started out in wrestling, it was like that it was drugs and alcohol and all that. And he says, now it's more like everybody just wants to go and play video games and stuff after matches. And it's just, he's yeah. like, it's a completely different yeah. environment. And I think now, I think some of those wrestlers now too, are much more into taking care of their bodies than they probably were back in the day. Some are, some are. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm sure there are still some that are very much into all yeah. of the mess. Um, so uh, Kevin uh, goes home, and we see another time jump, and um, they've had another kid, and um, he is now running the World Class Championship Wrestling. And we find out that Carrie has gone to the WWF. Um, so he um, he hasn't he goes to his dad and he tells his dad that he's got an offer um, for a, to buy out the WCCW. Yeah. And his dad says, "Don't think that you can come back into this house if you sell." And Kevin's like, "I got to do something for my family, you know, yeah. like I can't." We find out that the WCCW is not really, it's not making as much money. It's and it implies the dad stole money from the yeah, son. Yeah, it does imply that. He says, I went back and looked at all my the numbers and what you actually gave me, and it does not add up. And then um, he's like, what do you, I had costs associated with keeping you, you know, feeding you and housing you and stuff. And so it's just like, okay. Um, but also, we, you know, he's talking to the other promoter guy, and they're talking about going down to one one match a week instead of two matches a week because it's just it's too expensive to put on the matches they're not making enough money so this offer for the buyout is like 
It makes sense, right? Yep. And then Carrie comes home for Christmas with Tanya. And um, then he tells them he's not actually going to stay for Christmas. He's going to Mexico for Christmas. Carrie had bought his dad a gun for Christmas. And his dad, usually, apparently, there, his tradition is that when he gets a gun, he goes out and shoots it. And then he puts it up in the cabinet. But this time, he just puts it straight in the cabinet. And Carrie kind of has a meltdown about that. Which is kind of silly because they were getting ready to eat dinner. Yeah. Like, why, who would just, like... He's like, why aren't you going out and shooting it? And he's like... We have company. <laughs> We're getting ready to eat. Your mom just made dinner. Yeah. Like, you can And tell. It's, it's Christmas Eve or at least yeah. something like that. And, and I guess it's sort of a, a preview of sort of Carrie's mental yeah. state. Yeah. So, um, and and Kevin notices. Kevin, you know, goes to give him a hug and is like, hey, are you okay? You know? And Carrie's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. You yeah. know, and just kind of brushes him off. And um, and then that night, Carrie calls him in the middle of the night and he says he's out of control. He is in pain all of the time. And he tells Kevin, um, Kevin tells Carrie to come stay with them. And Carrie says he can't do that. He can't let his boys see him like that. Uh, Kevin's boys, because they adore their uncle Carrie. And um, Carrie says he wants to die. And Kevin begs him to just just tell me where you are. I'll come get you. And he hangs up the phone on him. Yeah. And so Kevin calls his dad and he tells him Carrie's in a bad state. Uh, just be on the lookout for him. He needs help. And his dad's kind of like, y'all need to sort, sort that out on your own. That kind of thing. Um, and then when Kevin goes the next morning to his, his family house, apparently the family house in Texas had 55 acres. So what's really funny is like, yeah, like you're talking about like how they act like, um, the family was kind of, they almost act like the family was struggling and it's like um, they have a really nice farm and ranch they own yeah. they run into the sportsatorium signing a deal with espn yeah no they they weren't struggling <laughs> oh so um i mean uh, yeah and i think i think uh you know jack probably did you know the original iron claw probably did a little bit back in the 50s and the 40s when the oh, stuff yeah, when started, it started yeah but yeah, at that point. Yeah. So he hears when Kevin gets there, he sees a car that's just um, on the side of the road with the door open. And so he he goes and looks at the car. It's empty. So he goes and he he's looking around the property trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And then he hears a gunshot and he realizes that Carrie has killed himself with the gun that he bought for his dad. Yeah. And um, then Kevin blames it on his dad for not looking out for him. And then the dad blames Kevin for being like, oh, well, he called you. Yeah. And um, and then in the movie, Kevin tries to choke his dad, which I did not like that scene, but whatever. And then he lets him go. And then uh, then he carries Carrie's body into the house and lays it on the table. And you get the brother scene with, yeah. with them reuniting in the afterlife. Yeah. Which the real life Kevin said he loved. Yes. So, you know what? If he liked it. Yeah, that's what I, because really that entire sequence is all wrong from the way it really <laughs> happened. The dad found the son. Yes. Kevin was, and he never called his brother. He called no, he, that Brett Hart. Brett, Brett the Hitman Hart. Yeah. yeah. Who is a promoter and wrestler. Mm -hmm. And in his last words were him telling his dad he loved him. Yeah. So that's why I say sometimes it's like, I, I, I don't understand I would be maybe I need to read more about the director 
and why certain elements were chosen to be changed and left out because I there's still there's a great story there. Yeah. I don't understand the need to, to try change to it. change it. Yeah. And make it something it wasn't. Yeah. When it's such an interesting story, probably the way it was. I mean, because if if you're going to have a story about a curse, I I think people would be okay to sort of seeing the flaws. Yeah. Associated with this. Yeah, I think the real life story is so much more compelling. I don't think it's necessary to change what they changed. Yeah, I, that's that's what, and maybe that's why I didn't enjoy the movie quite as much. Yeah. Again, because you know the younger brother that's left out of the movie, Chris. Uh, he shoots himself also. Yeah. So he commits suicide also. So you've got three of these brothers committing suicide. One dies in a freak accident as a child, and another mm -hmm. one that dies of, of intestinal, a, intestinal rupture, rupture yeah. performing overseas in Japan. And, you know, which is just crazy to think. Yeah. But I think, you know, again, I think their stories were so much more in depth and involved than because because even in the movie where the dad and Kevin argue about selling, it was the dad that sold it. It yeah. was Jack Von Eric, and it wasn't even really sold. It was merged. Yeah. The, yeah. Kevin still owns the rights to all that stuff, and yeah. they and of course they are all eventually gobbled up by the by the the NWA and all these merged WCW then, then WWF merged to form the WWE, and they're all in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, for the WWE. I mean, again, making it, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't understand the point of kind of glossing over and making it seem like they were just these sort of law shucks characters, because the NWA wanted Kerry to do more, right? The reason why he lost the title to Ric Flair wasn't because they didn't like him; it was because he wasn't showing up for his matches, right? Exactly, <laughs> right? And it was because Kerry was, was already into drugs, into drugs and painkillers yeah. and steroids. Like yeah. nobody was trying to hold them back; he was holding himself back because of his lifestyle. Yeah, and after a while, they said, "Well, we can't, we can't." Have well, that. it lifestyle but also all those boys probably had some very repressed feelings regarding their brother's sudden death you know what yeah. i mean i mean yeah. they were it, the way kevin talked about it on the um podcast and everything they were all very close so yeah. if you you do a specific thing with your brother Growing and then, up he, and and then, then he, he dies yeah. it's it's a traumatic thing and, and i think even on the Chris Jericho podcast, they they talked about that that you know nowadays we would call it you know it would be more recognizable some of the mental health issues they probably yes. were going through, but all that stuff is greatly compounded by drugs, drugs, but not just drugs, not just the illicit drugs, but also the steroids. Yes, and and, and also and the, there's a reason probably, why probably some brain injury and stuff like that and, too. And there's a reason, yeah. And, and there was a lot less focus. You look at early football players and stuff like that. There was a lot, there was a lot less focus on health and taking care of yourself and what you need to do for training and things like that. And I think, uh, I think all that stuff, you know, probably. When you add it all together, it's not really necessarily a curse. I mean, it, it, the curse would just be their lifestyle right. that they chose to live. I mean, that's. I mean, again, if you if you compound, if they all 
you, you think about the CTE and the different things like that, the head injuries, and then you put in the steroids, and then you add the drugs and stuff. I mean, I, it's it's a wonder. And the trauma of your family situation. Yeah, yeah. it's 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 a it's a really it, it's a tough it's a tough lifestyle. Yeah, and you know when you add in the partying and all that stuff onto it. You know, again, like none of the other wives, but Pam are even mentioned in the movie. Yet some yeah. of them were married and stuff. Yeah. With, I mean, but that's why I, in the movie Carrie calls him and says, "I don't have anybody." But in the movie, in the real life, apparently he was married, and part of the reason why he spiraled was because his marriage fell apart. Yeah, and so like, yeah, everything kind of fell apart. He was dependent on painkillers and stuff, and it's just and you know some of that with 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 drugs, um, at least. What I talked about in, in my psychology and sociology class that I took in college about drugs is that a lot of times people are self-medicating. Yeah. They have they have something going on and they use drugs to well, self-medicate. And, and you look at like even the fentanyl epidemic and stuff. And that stuff kills hundreds of thousands of people every year in this country. Yeah. And it's just kind of glossed over for the most part. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when you when you compound all this stuff, there's not really a family curse per se, other than that, again, their lifestyles just were, were probably just awful. And I'm sure there was pressure to perform. I'm sure there was competition. I'm sure the dad probably pushed his kids. But uh, again, I, I think if, you know, to make it out like it's just this, some sort of weird family. Again, I don't understand the need to do that when there's such an interesting story there. Yeah, with with how they how they shaped wrestling, how they formed wrestling, you know, because I mean they were sort of very much pioneers to help wrestling get to be what it was. Yeah, and, and again, it's just sort of why they had to make it out to be this sort of woe is me thing. Yeah, where you know the Iron Claw. I mean, the Iron Claw is you know he's a world famous. You know, I mean, again, it's like you can talk about Andre the Giant and people like that. I mean, it's yeah. you know. They're, they're, you know, the King Kong Bundys of that era and stuff. Ric Flair. I mean, it's, you know, he was he was right there with some of that. And even today, you know, Kevin's two boys wrestle. Yeah. They're well, in hold the on. AEW. Let, me, let me get to that. Okay. So Kevin sells to, he sells the WCCW and his dad apparently tried to intimidate the buyer before he bought Which it. again, the dad's the one that sold it in real life. Yes. The dad had no problem with right. the merger. And Kevin is watching his boys play football, and then he cries. And his boys come over, and they're like, why are you crying, Daddy? He's like, oh, you shouldn't see me like this. And they're like, it's okay to cry. And um, uh, they ask him why he's crying, and he says that he used to be a brother, but now he's not anymore. And they say they'll be his brothers, yeah. which is a touching, sweet little end to the movie. And yeah. we also, Pam is pregnant again, which we find out the they had four kids together yeah, they have a total of four kids but um i'm with you i have i have so many questions in my head about like why did they do it the way that they did it but also i okay from the chris jericho podcast what i gathered is that the family is basically just using this movie as a catapult to try to catapult the younger son the, well, the sons. family actually had nothing to do with no, no no i know no, you're not listening. They they know that the story's not correct, yeah. but they're not speaking ill of it because they're basically trying to just use it as a springboard for the sons to get back yeah. into and get them uh, more recognition in wrestling. Uh, I mean, so I get that, but at the same time, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that um, 
you know what you know my relationship with my father is one that's very close if somebody tried to make a movie about my life and paint my father in a bad light i would be livid i would be yelling from the rooftops that this is not a depiction of who my father was yeah and i would be insanely frustrated by that and the only thing i can think about it with this and the, and i this, here's how I maybe think that maybe they juxtapose this in their minds. Because at this point, it's sort of like Mickey Mouse and Winnie the Pooh with this family right now, right? They're, none of this stuff is trademarked anymore because of the time that's passed. Yeah. So anybody can make a movie about it. They don't have to get the family's permission. And they didn't in this. You know, they the family right. really had... They know, found about out about it on social media. <laughs> yeah. The, hey, somebody's making a movie about your family, by the way. And you're right. I, they probably were like lemons, lemonade. Hey, yeah. this is a chance for us to get some publicity out of it. But I, but the father, and this is the only thing I can think about is I think you have to keep in mind that wrestling is show business. Well, I guess that's the only thing that I can think of is that knowing that the father knew that sometimes the wrestling stories were absolutely out of this world, silly and not true. But and he up. was always the heel. He was always the bad guy. Okay. So I almost feel like it may be a nod to that, that he was always the villain. Okay. So they're like, well, you know, dad always played the villain. Yeah. So dad would be okay with playing with the movie, with the movie yeah. playing the villain. Like, he, like that way, he would probably enjoy it. Okay. So like that, at least that's the only thing I think. And I could be, that could just be in my mind only. Maybe, so and maybe they don't even think that far. So like that, those are my main problems. And I guess my other problem is that, um, and I love the way Zac Efron portrayed Kevin as far as the movie is. I love, I love Zac Efron as Kevin. I have no idea who Kevin is as a real person. Yeah. I like that character as Zac, as Zac Efron played him, but I have a feeling that that's is not, not that, at all that is not, what he no. was like in real life. No, I doubt that very much. He's I probably... do think I, I love the idea of somebody being just extremely close knit with their family and just being very sweet and kind. And, and like that is, I love uh, that, but I don't, I don't think that's think at that's all what happened. he's really no, like. No, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that's why I think the family went like, well, this stinks. <laughs> well, you know what? It's actually not that bad. It's got a sweet ending. We like the ending. All right, this will work. You yeah. know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, it's show business. Right. And I think they are, because they're like, even because in the podcast, he comes out and he says, he goes, hey, look, first thing y'all have to realize, it's a movie. Yeah. This isn't, again, they left out one brother entirely. Yeah. And again, but to me, the real story is is way more fascinating. I agree. Than, than what they did. Like, the movie's not a bad movie, but... I gosh. agree. I, I think an effort to try to make the story tighter, that they did what they did to make the story tighter, but I think that they they erase who the father is as a person. They erase who Kevin is as a person to and, make and, him and, and this likable guy. Yeah. You know, like, I, I, and maybe Kevin is likable in real life. I'm not saying he's not likable. Right, I'm right. just saying that I, I feel like the 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 cinnamon rolls small. yeah yeah you're looking you know? at you're looking at things through like a smoky mirror or something right. like you're not and and again i think there's such a like you know you look at uh, carrie's life and how he came up he was successful he you know uh, would have been an olympian and then to the hit drugs alcohol and just have this massive downward spiral there's a touching story there yeah and his, his dad and his brother loved him like and listen jeremy allen white 
did a great job playing Carrie. Yeah. And the thing is with Jeremy Allen White, there's something about his like he's got this like permanent like puppy dog eye look to him that it makes well, it so the, sweet. And I thought that was interesting because they talk about Carrie. In real life being real life an being attractive kind of, one. Yeah. yeah, and being like having that kind of John Travolta esque sort of look, but yeah. apparently they could they describe him as a Greek god because yeah. apparently he's just this huge chiseled jaw flowing hair yeah and i just, think i think david was the tallest of them though. yeah david, yeah yeah, yeah. David he was, was like six eight, eight. he was yeah. a huge man he was a giant <laughs> which is again what you know they, the actor was taller but again it's just funny yeah. looking at the actors and knowing that if you look at pictures of von erics they were massive human beings yeah. they were they were you know they took after their dad they, and they, except for the one brother yeah who was who was unfortunately the smallest and you know yeah. Never, never, and had real bad health issues and things. So. Yeah. But yeah, I, you know, again, I, 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 to be the youngest and the smallest and, and to have health issues, I, in that family, yeah, I feel for him. Yeah. I sure do. And again, but again, he's having access to all the, you know, again, all these people, if you read their, the little a bit of biography about him, they all were drugs, drugs, mm -hmm. drugs, drugs. And when you combine that with everything else, it's a, it's a real, it's a real tough way to tough way to go. So yeah. feel bad for him. But yeah, I don't know. So I liked the movie. It wasn't a bad movie, but I just wish it'd been a little truer to some of the Yeah. Some of the story arc of the actual family and the actual wrestling. I think it could have been a better movie. So I'm not sure it would have given the same storyline that they wanted to portray, uh, but I agree with you. I, I think, think they were, they were, better. well, I think they were fishing for a happy ending. Well, yeah, they, I, the, the thing is, and we talked about that with anatomy of a fall. I feel like, um, it, to tie it up in a nice little bow is generally what Hollywood wants to do. And I feel like they did that with this story. They tied it up in a nice little bow when that's not the reality of how things really happened. <laughs> so, yeah. It, and again, it, it, it I think, I think that you know there could have been some ways to do it that were different. So, I but again, overall, I, again, I don't want to be too critical because it's not a it's not a bad movie. No, I love the soundtrack. So, yeah, the soundtrack's good. The the action, the acting, the way they rebuilt the sportsatorium and stuff like that yeah. to make it, it real life accurate. I mean that you know the the movie shot well. Yeah, you know. It's it's a good film. It's a good I movie. I thought Zac Efron did an excellent job. I, I, I thought Jamie Allen White did an excellent all job. All of them. Uh, the dad, the actor that played the dad. Oh, I don't remember that one. Yeah, oh, I I thought it was well acted yeah. throughout. It was it was a really well. You know, they 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 did a good job with what they did. I just wish it had been a little truer to life. Truer, and I think they could have hit it from a few different angles. Yeah, that would have made it. <sighs> developed it but that's probably hard to do in the two hour yeah it would almost made a better series yeah but you know would somebody i guess you know they remade glow so yeah maybe they could i liked glow i only watched the first season so i can't really but i liked glow <laughs> so you know yeah yeah but it, around that same i mean again it was around yeah, uh, it yeah. was around that same you era know, you were telling the, me about all the different wrestling organizations and then they all kind of can can like um merge together merge together that i was thinking about i think in season two of glow i can't remember because i didn't really watch a whole lot after season one i think the whole issue was is that the girls were getting uh they were not getting the same slots as they had been getting before yeah. and i think part of that was probably that about the everything merging and then the because 
it's interesting to see how advanced the storylines were for the girls and the girls wrestling in the 80s and then you go to the early 2000s and it's just bikini contests you know what i mean it's like they took a step back yeah a little bit and glow had a certainly had an element of that to it yeah but they also had a bunch of different types of characters yeah. they had their own little storylines yeah. they weren't just out there parading around being like oh look at me in a bikini no. well a few it. of them were but again well, they, yeah. they sort of tie it all but that's all the divas were in the early 2000s yeah there was no attempt at the wrestling yeah yeah no i i like i said that it was it's interesting to see some of the stories so maybe they could have made it like a series or something and and developed out some of the characters and that way you could see you know see a little more of kind of behind the curtain because i'm sure they have wild stories to tell from that era i'm I sure am so sure of that but right like, like who, i'm who's sure. gonna want it who's gonna because like i can see why uh kevin would want to protect some of that from his children i could i could understand that but uh i i think you're gonna have to go with somebody who's not afraid to be raw yeah, about it and tell so. the full you know maybe so and then you'd probably have to pay some of the wrestlers and stuff like that oh yeah but yeah so it's interesting well um i we hope you enjoyed this episode if you did please give us a like and a follow uh please rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and as always we hope you go make some popcorn hello and welcome to popcorn takes a pop culture podcast featuring movies media books etc i'm marcia and i'm mike and today we are discussing poor things 2023 um, I just wanted to start out by saying that the opening line before anything happens in the movie is a disclaimer that says contains tobacco dis- depictions, which is hilarious considering the amount of sex in this movie. And that was not a disclaimer. <laughs> so that that made me laugh. Pardon our pedophilia. Mm. <laughs> um so don't go spoiling everything right away anyways well um, you're right though it's 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 like you gotta mind that tobacco but um and yes this episode we will be discussing sex a lot because the movie depicts a lot of sex so um listener discretion uh listener discretion advised what is the the saying i don't know okay well Thank you for being helpful. Um, so do you want to give it a synopsis, a spoiler-free synopsis? Uh, Frankenstein meets Fifty Shades of Grey. Okay. That's not exactly a synopsis, and you just spoiled stuff. <laughs> so, okay. Um, Bella is learning. Um, a, a young woman named Bella is learning things and she runs off with a uh smarmy lawyer there you go uh what do you give it a rating wise i don't know i maybe like a 1.5 for me okay i would give it a three but that's because um not so much the story and the plot i did um think that the acting was well done and i thought some of the cinematography was incredibly beautiful and the costuming and stuff like that was really nice so that's where my three stars are coming from yes emma stone's costume of being nude throughout was very nice okay but she had a lot of (laughs) other costumes did she yes she had lots of puffy sleeves missed that part okay 
Um, so obviously, as you can tell, Mike's going to be a hater this entire uh, review. So uh, we open up on a woman jumping to her death. This scene is in color. The woman is wearing the woman has black hair and is wearing a dark blue dress. We do not see her face in this opening scene. Then we get to Emma Stone, um, and it is everything's now in black and white, and she is banging on a piano. Uh, we see William Defoe, and he's got scars all over his face, and he is watching her. And Emma Stone is eating, and she spits out her food. Um, and then we see that the man with scars all over his face is hooked up to a machine, and he burps out a bubble. And this delights Emma Stone, and she claps. I'm just going to continue calling her Emma. Um, she is Bella, but we don't have her name at this point in time. Um, the man is giving a speech in an auditorium. Uh, it's like a seminar. Uh, yes. And we find out that from uh, exposition from the students in the room that this man is an extraordinary researcher, and one of them calls him a monster. <laughs> Because uh, he, you know, the scars all over his face. Yeah. Uh, he recruits a student as an assistant, and that student is Max McCandles. I'm just going to call him Max. Uh, so when they get to the house, Emma is breaking plates for fun. Uh, and then she runs to greet uh, the man with scars all over his face. And uh, upon first meeting Max, she just hits him in the face. Uh, the man says that she had a brain injury. He fixed it, but she's not uh, in sync. Her mental age is not in sync with the age of her body. So that's all he tells him. Uh, later, we see Bella in the lab with the man. The man is, I guess, he, I, I can't tell if the, the corpse, I can't tell if he's working on a corpse or if he's working on a live human. It looked like a corpse. But he says, like a cadaver. but yes, but he says to her, cause she says she wants to cut too. And he says to her that she's only allowed to do it on dead people. And oh. so then she goes over to a different body. So I assumed that pos I don't know. I don't know what's going on. It's, it's very confusing in, in the beginning. Cause they, there's not a lot of explaining going on. Yeah. But um, we also see that there is a duck goat and a dog chicken. That is a, goat with a duck face and a chicken with a dog head uh so we see that the man here is uh dr frankenstein-esque yeah uh max asks where she came from after telling the man that she is gaining 15 words a day he's not buying whatever story he's telling he's he's like I don't think this girl just had a brain injury. Something where where'd she come from? What's going on here? Yeah. And the man is just kind of blowing him off. Um Bella calls the man daddy, but then he tells her that no, her parents um are both dead and that she was sent to him after their death, that he's a he's a friend of their his, her parents. Um and they died in an accident. Um Max is doing geography with Bella, and we can see that Bella is interested to learn about different places. Then Bella goes out on the roof, and Max is kind of freaking out, but he follows her, and he notices a scar on the um, back of her neck, uh, like towards the base of her skull. 
and um, she wants to go outside and William Defoe says no. And so she starts to break things. And so that, so he gives in and they all go for a carriage ride, but she's not al allowed to look out the windows. And when they get to a secluded park, she's allowed out and she immediately goes and lays down in the leaves and does like a, a leaf angel. Yeah. We'll call it. Um, then Max catches a frog and she immediately says, kill it. <laughs> and he's like, no. <laughs> and, um, and she keeps, she keeps calling the man God. Uh, we find out later that's because his name is Godwin Baxter. So she is Bella Baxter and he is Godwin Baxter. Yes. Um, but she calls him God. So um, the man calls her an experiment. And um, Bella throws a temper tantrum when they're riding back to the house because she peeks outside and she sees some kids getting ice cream and she wants ice cream. Yes. And... Um, God tells her, no, they'll stare at my face. And she doesn't care. She continues to scream. She's basically having a temper, temper tantrum, tantrum like right. a toddler would. Yes. And um, because she's not a toddler, like as far as her body, she attacks him and um, they end up having to chloroform her. Um, so... Uh, Max carries her into her room and then the maid undresses her. And then Max is snooping around and he finds out that uh, that she's an experiment for real. That yes. the doctor had placed the brain of an infant into the body of a woman. And he wants an explanation. So the man explains that he got the body of a dead woman who had committed suicide and her body was not yet in rigor mortis. And so she, um, he, he doesn't say at the beginning here, he just says he had an infant, uh, but he doesn't explain how. Um, and so he put the brain of the infant inside the woman's body because if he had just reanimated her as she was, she would, you know, she tried to commit suicide. She would likely try it again, but now with the brain of an infant it'd be like a fresh start right yeah so max asks if she knows and the man says no so then bella wakes up and uh this is the scene where everything starts to become about sex she starts to learn about her own pleasure areas and um she starts to pleasure herself with food at the table and then um and then she grabs the maid in her, the maid's uh, genitals. <clears throat> yeah. I think I'm going to need to take a break again for some water. Hold on. <laughs> uh, we're back. So the maid is like, do not touch me there. And, um, and then Max comes in and she, um, wait, where am I at? Oh, yes. Uh, Max comes in and she starts, she shows Max that she just couldn't pleasure herself with food. And Max is like, we don't do that in polite society. That is not, you don't do that at the table. <laughs> and um, so later she ends up pushing her plate off the table. Uh, and then Godwin tells Max that he should marry Bella. Mm -hmm. This is a conversation after Bella's already gone to bed, I guess. Would and that be considered child marriage? I would 
I would say like probably arranged marriage. That's some traveler yes. stuff. Yes. So Max asks Godwin if he's sleeping with Bella, and he says no. That two reasons: he cannot physically sleep with her, but also that he's developed paternal feelings towards her, and he doesn't see her in that way. Um, and. The man says that they should marry, but he's going to, but they, the condition is, is that they will always live with him. So um, Godwin says that. Um, And Max is agreeable to that. So he ends up drawing up a legal contract with a lawyer. This lawyer is Duncan, I forgot his last name, what a burn or something like that. What a, it was something dumb. Yeah, Duncan, uh. Wetterburn. Yeah. Wetterburn. 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 Um, this guy's extremely smarmy from the get go. He tells um, Godwin that he. He's quite a debauched lawyer. Yes. He tells Godwin that he needs to use the restroom, um, but he is only a farce so that he can go and investigate this woman that they, this contract is about because he needs to know this woman that is so important that a contract like this would be drawn up on her um and uh he is talking to her and just touches her in her private parts and she because she's uh the brain of a child and also because she's been exploring that herself has no idea that it's inappropriate that he's just reached down and touched her without it's a very strange scene but it is there. And then later that evening, he climbs up to her room um, and he tells her he wants her to run away with him. And she says she doesn't think that she's safe with him, but she's asked Godwin to go with him to Lisbon anyways. She wants to go off an adventure. Yeah. She tells Godwin that she plans to run away with Duncan, even though she knows he doesn't care about her safety and um godwin is not crazy about it but she says you have to let me go you're I, i'm i if you make me stay here i will despise you and so he says fine but then he goes and tells max so that max can confront her so max is upset he says he loves bella and um she says that she will still come back and marry him but she wants to adventure first with duncan And then she ends up drugging Max. Um, And then Godwin comes in and he sews something into the hem of her dress. And then a pig chicken wakes Max up. And um, Max and Godwin are talking and Max says he hopes that she's all right. And then um, he asks Godwin if she's, if he thinks she's having sex with Duncan and Godwin says yes. Um, And she is, in fact, having sex with Duncan. And now that she's having sex with Duncan, everything is in color. The Lisbon sky is, like, cotton candy colored. It's very bright and pink and purple. And um, I want to explain that the movie is... um, It's not set in any kind of real time. So, like... It is Regency era looking like clothing. Like everything is very formal and poofy and, and all that. 
But at the same time, um, there are, it's like steampunk. There's like, uh, well, I mean, it's kind of supposed to be Victorian London. Right. But it's also got in Lisbon, they have flying cars above the city. And then his, his carriage was like steam powered. That's what I mean by steampunk. It's very much like old aesthetic with like more modern conveniences kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, there's lots of sex. It's a whole montage. And, um, she calls it furious jumping. Um, the implication there is that she doesn't know it's called sex, uh, because she's never had sex education. And because when children, particularly toddlers, don't know the name of something, or what they do is they combine words to... Uh, closely assimilate it to their best ability what it is. Yeah. Uh, you've probably seen the TikTok where the guy says, my niece called the aquarium the water zoo. Huh. I mean, like, she knew water, she knew zoo, she didn't know the word aquarium, right? Yeah. So, like, that's what this is. So, yeah. the implication there that she still has the mind of a toddler is grody. Yeah. Anyways, um, Duncan is very smarmy here. He tells her that he's feels sorry for her because he's the best at sex. And um, she, uh, you know, he's been with lots of women and she just better not fall in love with him. And she's like, all right. <laughs> and then when he falls asleep, she leaves. She goes off to explore the city of Lisbon. And eat pastries. Yes. Um, she hears a woman singing in the street and she is entranced by it. Yep. And then she, um, goes back. Well, first she goes up to a, like a balcony area. She throws up presumably from all the pastries she's eaten. Um, and then she goes back and tells Duncan that, um, she found nothing but sugar and violence. And they go to dinner with another couple. She embarrasses him. Because she is very blunt and forthright. She knows nothing about polite society or decorum or um, any. She just speaks her her mind and her mind is not fully developed yet. And um, she has an obsession with sex. So. Um, so a lot most of the topics she wants to talk about involve sex um, of some kind of or, or another. So she goes to a. Did I? Oh, they get kind of, um, he, he drags her off at one point in time and tells her that she needs to say it's delightful. And, um, I forget what the other, yeah, it was, he told her to say three things. There were three phrases that he told her she was, those were the only three things she was allowed to mutter. Yeah. And so she malicious compliance goes back to the table and says that at inopportune moments, like when the woman tells her that her father died yeah so um delightful yeah so he's mad at her but then i guess they still have sex or whatever then she goes to a bar by herself she gets drunk and she passes out so it's much later when she goes back to duncan at the hotel lobby he's mad because she's been out without him all day he didn't know where she was a woman approaches her and calls her victoria um and she says that that's not her and then she goes to dinner with Duncan again. Um, and then 
the, uh, some music is playing and so she begins dancing to the music and of course it's hilariously weird dancing you know yeah um a man winks at bella and then duncan goes to fight the man for winking at bella and then a couple asks her to go dancing while he's off fighting and then he fights that couple too and then bella gets involved and throws a drink at him and then they're in their room again about to have sex again when he notices that she's got two tattoos on her inner thighs um and he asks her uh what is this and she's like oh well i met a man and we were playing chess and then he asked me about my soft skin and then i told him my softest skin was in my inner thigh and yeah it, it goes on notes so she wanted to make sure she knew which one was the softer one uh always so that's what the tattoos are for so he freaks out and he leaves the room and goes to the hotel bar and she goes down to I guess console him but she doesn't quite understand why he's upset yeah um and then uh we cut back to godwin and he collapses during a seminar um and max says oh will you miss bella and um he godwin says he doesn't believe she's coming back and then we see duncan convince bella after their argument and everything with at the hotel bar and him getting really upset and everything, he tells Bella that he understands she needs adventure. So he wants her to get in this trunk and she does. And then when he opens the trunk up, she realizes that now she's on a ship that he has trapped her so that she cannot just leave whenever she wants. Well, that's one way to keep her in line, I guess. Put her in the, can't put baby in the trunk. Um, so, uh, she's very unhappy. And now that we are on the boat, the ship, uh, the sky is all blues. It's very, it's dark blues. It's not, it's, you know, no more candy colored skies. It's just, it's very, all, all the skies in this, um, in this movie, I feel like reflect her moods probably because we're supposed to, I guess, be from her perspective uh, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so uh she sleeps on a deck chair at some point in time and then duncan says he loves her and she doesn't respond and he asks if she loves him and she says well i need uh explain to me what i should feel to know that i'm in love and he gets very mad at that and then um and uh so there's just there's tension between the two of them because we see that duncan cannot control this woman and he desperately wants to control this woman the only woman who's caught his fancy because she cannot be controlled like the i presumably the other women he's been with before um and so it's a wanting what you can't have situation and so uh when they are on the ship at another point i guess they're at lunch i'm not sure where they are she talks to an older woman um, that has a companion with her. That's uh, Martha. And Harry. And Harry. And um, Martha's, uh, in, Martha is enchanted by uh, Bella's just non-filtered thoughts just coming out of her mouth. And yeah. so um, she uh, is obsessed with sex again that's what she's talking with the old lady about and the old lady tells her that you know she hasn't had sex in 20 years yeah. and 
and Bella is a gag. She is like, what? A bit of a dirty old agog is agog. I think is the word, not a gag. But anyways, um, no, the gag comes later. Ah, funny. Uh, (laughs) anyways, so she, um, so she's she's just asking her all kinds of just very. Uh, intimate questions, but she doesn't view them as intimate. And you know, Martha finds her funny, so yeah, she doesn't care. Doesn't care. Um, and Harry, we we realize right away that Harry is very cynical. Um, but so you know, they're they're interesting. Um, Duncan comes over. It's real obvious that he does not want to hang out with these people. And Harry asks him, "Oh, is she allowed to have friends?" Because he sees right away that this older man. Is trying to control this young woman and so um later they get they're going up towards the room and duncan asks her to marry him and she says that she's i'm sorry i'm already engaged to max yeah and duncan's like you ran away with me though and she's like and <laughs> and duncan um and she says that he's just that duncan's just for fun and she'll go back and she'll marry max and um he says that he'll throw her overboard. And she says, so I marry you or you'll kill me? Is that the proposal? And he says, no. And he like stomps away because that that was the proposal. But um, he realizes it's not a good look. So he, he walks off. Yeah. She goes and um, she talks again with Harry. They're, uh, yeah, they're, they're on the boat deck again and he says that um we are all cruel beasts we are born that way and we die that way um and so they the martha and harry and her are all reading out on the deck chairs out on the boat and duncan comes by and he's like oh come walk with me and she's like i'm reading and he's like i don't like that you're reading all the time you've lost that funny little way you used to talk which is the toddler talk yeah so gross yeah he's a perverted weirdo um and uh so she can she says you're standing in my light and so then he ends up throwing her book overboard and then martha hands her a book and she starts to read that and he throws that book overboard as well and then he gets mad and he walks off because she just stares at him she's not going to go walk with him um and then he gets drunk and um He's back in their room, and uh, I forget what the conversation started out as, but he says that he is going to throw Martha overboard, and Bella says, I'd like to see that. Yeah. And he's like, all right. And so then he goes, and he tries to throw Martha overboard, but um, the crew drag him away before he can even, before he gets even, like, even minimally close to throwing her overboard. Um. What's the funny part of that scene to me was um, Harry is about to step in, but Martha says, I never thought I'd die by murder. <laughs> and so he's like, all right, well, if she's into it. <laughs> I so that that was funny. Um, so Duncan is passed out in the room. So Bella goes to Harry's room. Um, she wants to discuss cruelty. She's she feels like she's angry more often than not anymore particularly towards duncan she's not and he's like that's a good instinct um and um he tells her that he can show her what the world is really like 
um, when they dock next. And so she's like, oh, okay, because she wants to know what the world is like. She feels like she doesn't know anything about the world. That's the whole point of this is to explore. explore. So they dock in Alexandria and the skies are now orange um, and the music is ominous. And he shows her the poor and dying that are in the pits down below the nice swanky uh, restaurant that they're in. And she tries to go to them and Harry's like, Oh no, no, no. So he stops, he stops her. She bites his hand, but he still holds on to her. She sobs. Then she's back on the boat and um, she's gathering up money because Duncan is again still passed out in the room. And um, she tries to go give money to the poor, but they are like, oh, no, we're casting off, ma'am. You can't go off the ship now. And um, she's like, but I wouldn't give this money to the poor that are right there outside of the hotel. And the the guys uh, that are the ship mates, <laughs> yeah. um, they're like, oh, we're we'll staying t- here. Yeah, we'll we'll give it. them the money. And she's like, oh, okay. And she hands the box full of money to these men. Yeah. And... Um, Presumably, they don't give any of it to the yeah. poor. So, not that they probably, I mean, they're working class as well. It's not like they're rich. So, but, you know, they're not giving it to the, the poor right. that are dying. No. Um, so, uh, Duncan wakes up and thinks he's been robbed. And then Bella tells him that she gave the money away and she's very sad and that she expects him to comfort her. And then yeah. <laughs> he's like, What? And then the captain comes in and says, oh, at the next port, um, you're going to be put ashore. Yep. Throwing him off. He's always threatening to fight people. Yes. He's very angry, that one. But if you really went around doing that, somebody would take you up on it. Yes. And also, you're a lawyer. You should know better. Yeah. I, like, if, like if you talk to, like, talk to a sailor that way, you're liable to just get a... Yeah. Well, he, he does get punched in the gut by the guy who was protecting the captain. Yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, she's been writing this whole time, little postcards to Godwin. Um, and then, uh, Bella talks to Harry again, and Harry tells her that he wanted to hurt her with the truth. He, um, that that he was sorry. He, you know, that, that was his intention all along, but now he feels bad about it. And she says to him that she realizes that he's just a little boy who wants to help the world and he's angry about it. And so um, the yeah. skies are blue again. And um, Harry asks why she stays with Duncan. And she says she always thinks it will be better. And that's the end of that. They are put off in Marseille. Marseille? Yeah. Marseille. Yeah, but then they somehow end up in Paris. Yeah. So... um she uh, wanders into a brothel and is recruited for work. And when she comes back, she's got some eclairs and she gives one to Duncan. And he's like, did you steal this? And she explains how she got the money. And now Duncan's mad. And now she's like, well, I'm going to break up with you then. Um, And then she pulls out money from her dress him. Apparently, the thing that Godwin sewed into her dress him was a wad of money, and she knew it was there the entire time. So she didn't really need to go to the brothel to work at the brothel. She just wanted to do it to see what what people had to do to survive without any money. And um, she's also 
uh, now that she's breaking up with Duncan, she's like, here, I'm going to give you money to get a ticket back to England. And then he takes the entire wad of money from her. So now she really doesn't have any money. Yes. Um, so she goes back to the brothel. And there's more sex. And then the lady that runs... Uh, so, so at one point in time, she, you know, chimes in and is like, hey, wouldn't it be better if, like, instead of lining up the girls and having the man choose the girl, wouldn't it be better if the girls were the one to choose the man? Because then he'd have an enthusiastic partner. And she's like, mm, that's not how this works. Yeah. And then she ends up taking her um, and to another room to talk to her about it. And she's, she's like, Hey, um, some men enjoy that. You don't want it. And that's news to Bella. And she also says to Bella that degradation is part of knowing the world. So Bella decides to stay at the brothel. And the next guy that comes in is uh, the next customer she asks the man to tell her a childhood story and then she tells them a joke and then she does a sniff test to make sure that they smell okay because they might need to be doused in lavender oil and then they have sex and it's more sex and a sex montage again and then she goes with her friend from the brothel tonette tonette okay her and tonette go to um another a seminar like uh, the one that godwin put on earlier and so she looks at the autopsy of this person and she says oh dreadful work <laughs> and so tanette is like this is what you do when you're homesick huh and she's like yeah. yep <laughs> and um then they go uh then there's more sex and then duncan comes back to beg for bella and he said he's come to save her and she says um uh, for him to go home and um then godwin is back home and since he misses bella he decides to create another bella um i don't think it's the same circumstances i'm not sure what the circumstances if for this one but he does not love her like he loves bella and he feel he kind of regrets having made another bella yeah uh, then Max operates on Godwin and we find out that he has many tumors and he is dying. So he tells Max not to cry into his wound. It'll kill him faster. True. <laughs> but I, I just thought it, that was funny. Um, and then the lady who runs the brothel checks in on Bella because Bella is depressed, which obviously, um, the Tanette um comes in and i will say she services her and then she sings to bella afterwards and they cuddle and the girl asks her about the scar she has from having a child and bella says it's an accident scar not from having a baby and tanette says why would you lie and bella says she's not lying godwin told her yeah and so then Max goes to find Duncan because Godwin is dying and he, he wants to get to Bella so that he, so that Bella knows. And um, we find Duncan is in a mental Yes, he has been hospital. institutionalized. Yes. Um, then uh, they argue and fight. Um, and then Bella gets a postcard about Godwin dying. So she goes home. And the skies are gray. 
And um, Godwin says he has missed her. And she gets down to business. She asks if she had a baby and if so, where it is. And then he ends up telling her that she is her own baby and her own mother. Because when he got her, when she committed suicide, apparently she was very close to having, to giving birth. And um, so, and he, he put her baby's brain into her body. Um, She's mad at Max that he didn't tell her beforehand and he says he's sorry um i think he's the only person in the entire well no harry told her he was sorry when he purposely got her upset with the poor people but um this is the first time that i guess maybe a sincere apology i don't know harry might have been sincere i'm not sure um bella meets the new bella we find out the new bella's name is felicity um she calls Godwin and Max monsters because she's like, what is this? And they're like, well, we missed you. And she's like, you're monsters. Yep. And um, she says she finds she's talking to Godwin later and she says she finds it hard to want to hit somebody who's already in so much pain because, you know, he's, he's dying. dying. Yep. And um, she says she missed Godwin, even though she's having this disconnect with her brain about knowing that he yeah. Did an awful thing to her. Yep. Um, and then she also tells him she wants to be a doctor. And then her, Bella and Max are walking and Bella asks Max if he still wants to marry her. And he's like, oh, well, it was such a long time ago. You don't like, I'm not expecting you to be held to that contract. And, and she tells him, um, she's like, you know, I did sleep with a bunch of other men for money in Paris. Um, and he doesn't seem off put by that. And he says that he's only jealous of their time with her. Um, that it's her body to give freely to whoever she wants. And, um, then he, uh, then she asks Max if he will marry her and he says, yes. And then he asks, to make sure she gets checked for diseases. Well, probably. Uh, <laughs> and she says, of course. I'm glad we're very practical in this matter. I can't. Yeah. Probably important for Victorian era brothel work. Yes. Can't imagine well, that. I think any kind of sex work, that's probably important. <laughs> but yes, it's particularly Victorian. Yes. Um, uh, she is. So they are at the church about to get married when someone objects. And you expect it to be Duncan. At least I expected it to be Duncan. But it is actually... Plot twist. Victoria's husband. Yep. And Duncan's there too. But... General Alfie Blessington. Yes. The general. Um, he puts forth... Apparently... So Duncan didn't know the entire story. Duncan knew there was something up with Bella. And knew that she wasn't mentally all there there uh when he first met her um but he didn't know why and then when that lady called her victoria blessington in the hotel he followed up on it yeah um so i guess we're to assume that duncan just thinks that she had amnesia or something and that's the print pretense that the general is working under as well that she just had amnesia yeah. They do not understand that this is a completely different brain that has no memory or recollection of this man whatsoever. 
um, and is also her father. So real grody. Um, so she agrees to go with her husband. Um, dad. Dad. <laughs> yeah. And um, God, husband, father. Yes. So Godwin objects, but she says, "Let me go." And um, then when they get into the carriage, he immediately pulls out a gun. So this guy is not a good guy, which we presume he's not a good guy anyways, because his wife was pregnant and willing to commit suicide. So something was up. Um, oh, Godwin so, didn't teach her not to go with weirdo strangers. Right. So um, the staff all know her, but they won't talk to her. And um, the maid's arm is in a sling, so we are to presume there's some kind of abuse going on. Uh, and Bella asks her husband why she killed herself. They're at dinner now at this point in time. And he says, it was the baby. You didn't want to be pregnant. And um, then he is like, ooh, watch this. And he, bring, he calls for the maid to bring soup. And he's got a guard dog. And he makes the guard dog growl and bark at the maid. So she spills the soup on herself. She calls him a name and then he pulls a gun on her. So he's he's out here regularly pulling guns on everybody. Yes. And it's weird. Just a cruel person. And cruel, yes. Um, he says that he will try to forgive her for the whoring um, and killing their un unborn baby. Um, but he says that she will stay at the house for at least a year just to make sure she's not going to do anything. Yes. And she says, mm, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I will come and go as I please. Yeah. And he says, mm, then I'll shoot you in the head. And then she asks the front or the back. And he says, oh, the, the back of the head. So that it'll definitely make sure it looks like you're leaving. Yeah. And, um, she says, so I'm a prisoner. And he's like, uh. um, he says, you'll be as happy as you were before. And she says, before when I threw myself off a bridge. So we are already to the point now. It's bad. And she hasn't even been there a full 24 hours. Um, and then he pulls a gun on the butler for trying to clear his plate too early. So... She tries to leave the next day, um, and the gate is locked. So then she goes back in, and she hears her husband talking with a surgeon about um, female genitalia mutilation. Yeah. Or female... Genital mutilation. Yeah. So, um, of her. And so she says, uh, she comes in, she hears that he's going to drug her. So when she comes in to talk to him, he tries to give her a glass of wine, and she's like, mm, no. I think he said a martini, wasn't it? Oh, something. Gin, gin and chloroform? Yeah, it's some some kind of alcoholic drink. And she says, um, no, and I'm I'm ready to leave now. I'm going back to Godwin. And he's, he pulls a gun on her. And she says, um, uh, she comes closer to him after he pulls the gun and goes, oh, so you will have the drink. And she says, I'd rather you shoot me in the heart. And, um, and she takes the glass from him. Then she throws the drink on him and uh, he, she takes his gun, but in the, in the scuffle, he shoots the gun, shoots himself in the foot. Yep. And he is bleeding profusely. 
So she takes him to Max because he will bleed out and die otherwise. And um, while they are there, they stop the bleeding. And then um, Godwin is dying. So Bella goes and lays down beside him. And Max is there with them too. Yes, he lays down on the other side of them. Yeah, well, um, when they pull the camera back, he's not fully laid down. It's like a, a, cha- a chaise lounge and like... Both Bella and Godwin are on the lounge and Max is just kneeling next to him. So, but yes, they are, they're all together because Max has always looked up to Godwin very much. Um, Max is an interesting character. Um, But anyways, uh, so he dies. And what I thought was going to happen was that they were going to put his brain inside of the general. That's what I thought was going to happen. That would have made more sense. Because they love him and because um, his body's the only thing that's failing him. So I thought they'd put his brain inside the general. Nope. They put the general in a goat. That is correct. So now at the end of the movie, we see Felicity is improving um, and the maid likes Felicity more than she likes Bella. (laughs) And probably because Felicity's probably never tried to grab her genitals. Um, And uh, so we see Felicity is improving. And then um, Tanette is there with her as well as Max. And then uh, the general is now a goat. And everybody's happy. The end. I was happy. (laughs) You're happy because it was the end. Because that was the end. Yeah. Um, Okay. So... There's a lot of discourse about whether or not this is a feminist piece of work or not. Um, It's not really. I wouldn't call it a feminist. I mean, it's based on a novel by a British Alexander Gray. Right. And the novel is actually a bit different than the book, apparently. There's several things that are different in the novel than the book. But if we're just talking about the movie... um, I, just for the sake of, like, making it easier on my brain, because the part where she's a child is a huge part that's gross and I cannot take um, about, like, being toddler level. Well, even if she's not a child, because at one point they did say retarded in the movie. Right, but that was... At the beginning. (laughs) I mean, so even if it's not child, it's somebody that's mentally not there. Right, but okay, for the sake of analysis, I'm just going to say that the point of putting in a a toddler brain is to give her a clean slate that's never, that has no memories and never, instead of just giving her amnesia, which I think might have been better. But um, let's just say that for the sake of argument that that's what it's for, okay? Um, I think I have a hard time thinking that all the sex and and the sexual awakening that she's having is like the only part of like if we're supposed to believe it's a feminist piece of work because she has a sexual awakening and is in control of her own sex life there's more to being a woman than just sex so like that's or just sex for the sake of sex right feelings, connection Right, but my point is is that I just there's more to being a woman. There's more I get that like it's easiest to show that in regards to control and all that. There's just there's more to being a woman. There's a 
I think there's a better feminist perspective that isn't just sex. I get. I I didn't even take it as a feminist movie show. I don't know. Maybe I was just being naive on it. But I didn't. I, well, like, you, I that mean, didn't really come. At least I, I maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention, but it never struck me as a well. You'd have to be, statement. you'd have to be kind of naive. I mean, the whole movie is is different men trying to control Bella. You have Godwin trying to control her in the beginning, even Max to some extent, but mostly Duncan tries to control her. Then her husband tries to control her. I mean, like every man in this movie is trying to control her. With the exception of Harry. I just cast it up to, you know, you and I have talked about this, how I think they cast men now so poorly in all movies. Like, there's never, like, really just one good dude out there. There's just people, you know, like, I mean, so, like, I mean, I get that. I guess I get that now that you're pointing it out from a statement standpoint, but I, I don't know. Like, they're just, none of the people, I didn't really care for many of the so. Yeah, I would say I um, on that assessment, m maybe I would agree with you. Obviously, I think Harry was fine. He did. He did try to hurt her feelings because he was trying to open her. He thought she was too naive about the world. So like he wasn't the best, but also he's the only man that has multiple interactions with her that isn't trying to sleep with her. And then um, and then Max is just too weak-willed you know what i mean like there there can be a line it's it's yes there's a there's a term for him it's called a cuck okay <laughs> i mean that's i mean that's what he is look i mean that the movie deals in a lot of all right well the, i mean stuff on like that on the term of him still being betrothed to her and then going off and doing that uh, okay and then what but, what's her girlfriend doing there then right so like i don't know what the implications of that are either <laughs> I don't know it if was they're pretty clear what the implications are. Is that I mean, because it wasn't clear to me. Were they just there as friends, or no, was it more? No, it was more. Okay. Well, I, I like I said, I I just assumed that they were just making a movie where they just cast all the men as, as being bad. Which, again, I I have, you know, if, if I I would like to see one. Well, she also has difficult feelings around Godwin. On the one hand, she's well, sure he brought her back to life and put her brain in her head. Right, but He's then she, but then either. she also has warm feelings to him from the per paternal oh, I, I aspect. I get that. I get right. So exactly. that's why she says specifically she, she has, has mixed she has feelings. Stock, called Stockholm syndrome. She has been kept a prisoner. That is the entire plot of the movie: is all these men trying to keep her prisoner. Until she finally breaks free at the end. Okay, and so now you know it's a feminist then, idea. Well, I don't. Uh, I, I, I mean, the, my point is, is that she has difficult feelings towards Godwin. That sometimes there are people in our lives that we have difficult she, feelings I just towards. Don't think of that as a feminist idea. If you did that with anybody, they would want to break free. I mean, you know, if you're kept trapped by everybody. I mean, I guess I, I guess it's a feminist idea from the standpoint that she's a woman, and and that most women experience this in some form of another at some point in time. Do most women experience it? Like, in some form of an or another at some point in time, I would say most women probably do experience it. Either from the paternalistic side of wanting to keep them 
away from stuff or the if anything godwin should have maybe been a little more protective on that okay. end. and then she wouldn't have been off with both of these weirdo dudes who are just terrible people i mean that lawyer dude is, yes i agree the and, lawyer and dude the is terrible dude, they should have just killed him why didn't she just kill him well presumably he's a rich aristocrat she's, she's his wife she'd have inherited everything Right, but it, presumably she still did inherit everything because now he's a goat. She I has guess. control over everything. I guess. Nobody's going to ask why he's a goat. <laughs> Here's this powerful man. Oh, wait, no, now he's a goat. Well, now if he stays in the confines of that. I mean, it would have been much better off just to be done with him. Well, I mean, he shot himself in the foot. You could have just let him die. Oh, I'm <laughs> saying. Or yeah. again... Put it, it, put the you, brain of of Godwin inside went, the general. It went, it, went, it went around the corner and made a story out of something where there didn't need to be a story. Right. So I don't think that the part where he becomes a goat at the end is actually in the original story. But um, I've never read the original story. I've just heard other people talking about the differences. So I don't know. But um, I don't know. It's it's hard. It's hard to separate that part of her being a toddler from the intentions of these men like they're not good people so like godwin obviously shouldn't have done it from the beginning that's an obvious statement but him wanting to protect her from the outside world because she's still a toddler even if her body doesn't say that her brain says that um like is understandable uh i just don't know we're supposed to believe it's also a sped up timeline like she doesn't age like a her brain is not aging like a normal brain. It's aging in fast forward. But I don't I still don't know what the timeline is supposed to be. I don't know what Oregon is supposed to be. I'm, it's a confusing thing to me. Yeah. And I, I just I found it I don't know, I didn't enjoy the I mean this I, I don't even like the story. Like it's not a good like I found it very slow. Very slow. Okay. I mean just just like and not a good slow just like move along like i i don't understand all the sex scenes like did you need all that in there this was there a point to some of it no what well, i agree with you on that but also <laughs> apparently was it supposed to be funny no but apparently um uh i've read a lot about how gen z doesn't really like sex in movies for the sake of sex like it needs to contribute to the plot and i was like Man, me and Gen Z have something in common here. I didn't feel like it necessarily contributed to the plot of this thing. Right. I mean, in some aspects, I guess it contributed a little bit, but like you could do more implied. You don't have to show explicit, but like I don't. For me, I just, uh, yeah, it was like, and more sex and sex montage. And, and, and we, and yeah. For, and for what? None of it real. I mean, she worked in a whorehouse, right? You know, yeah. And people know what that is. Yeah. And the way it kind of glosses that over and makes it seem like this pretty thing, when the reality is, a lot of the people in there are broken, abused. They have they have drug issues. They have they come from really abusive backgrounds and stuff. I mean, it's not a great. It, it it's trying to glorify a little bit something that's really kind of sad. Yeah. In and of itself, and you know, and I, you know, this. I don't know. This is. Uh, I guess, like, I don't know if it's trying to glorify that part. I didn't, I didn't see it as glorification, but also, um, 
I, uh, I don't know. I have mixed feelings on the subject in general because I understand that some of those women are, um, like you said, broken and, and abused. And, and a lot of them aren't there by choice. Right, right. And that that's the part that really, like, it's, there's, they don't have a choice in the matter either because they've been trafficked or they don't have a choice in the matter because there's, they, they come from a situation where they have no other options. And, and this, in this message that somehow you can dominate your sexuality so that it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. There's no feeling behind it and stuff. It's just like, I get it that that's the, well, I the think, very humanistic approach to it. I think but. that's what the part of the story where she wanted to have a, a, a childhood story and tell them a joke. I think that's part of the story that's kind of getting at that because like, she felt like she needed an emotional connection and those things gave her an emotional connection. I also think that's why she fell into the depression part is because of that aspect of it. At least that's what my view is on the whole thing, but I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I don't think, um, feminism and, and femininity and like making your own way has to revolve around sex. And like, that's the part, for me, that if we're not even talking about the the child sex part of it, which is disgusting, if we're just talking about, you know, the the feminist aspect of it, is that I just, there's more to being feminine, there's more to being a feminist than just sex. Well, and, and the argument, I guess, sometimes at least, and maybe I'm wrong, but it's like, well, men can just do whatever they want, not but men shouldn't do that. Like it, it, like that's not a good counter argument for men either. Like men need to, should behave themselves too. Like, I mean, it's, it, I think, I think there's a, there's a real, I don't know, there's a brokenness to some of the messaging behind some of it. And well, I just felt like the messaging was kind of disjointed. Like it wanted right. to say something, but it didn't, I don't know. I didn't think the movie had a great plot to start with. I, I like, I admit like, Again, I, didn't I see actually the point of think movement. the plot, the idea of putting, uh, like, not your own infant, but like putting um a brain into another body, and then they have to like start all over again. I actually think that's an interesting plot. It was Mary Shelley did it really well with Frankenstein. Right, exactly. I mean, just, <laughs> like again, I, I just it's. But I, that's my point: is that like I, like I think the plot can be interesting. I just don't like. I don't like what they did. They could have made the movie better. There's a thousand things you could do to make that movie better. Yeah, I agree. I mean, just it was slow. It was so long. Okay, so um, this is the last movie that we will do for the Oscar series. This movie is Oscar Thank nominated. So you basically have to be a pervert or pedophile to be in the <laughs> office between Oscars between this and May, December. I am over it. Yeah, so I am done. I'm, I may not tackle Oscars next year if they're going to keep going down Epstein way here. Okay, with some of this stuff. All and right, trapping women and on ships and boxes and. Okay. And, uh, I mean that is a good metaphor for being trafficked, of course. I um, just, just. Uh. But um, I was going to say that um, this is our last of this series. I do think that the Oscars and and whatnot do perverts. they do like weird movies. Um, but I did also want to say that last episode I talked about the Iron Claw being Oscar nominated. I was incorrect. 
they were Golden Globe and SAG nominated. They were not, I think they were SAG. I know they were Golden Globe nominated, but um, they are not Oscar nominated. So I was incorrect in that statement. And I just wanted to correct myself. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please give us a like, a subscribe, a review from wherever you get your podcast. And as always, <laughs> we hope you I clean myself clean my conscience from that nonsense. We hope you make some popcorn. <laughs> <laughs>